0: Staying delivered. Hey, Cyber listeners. Our normal host Ben McCoo is on a much deserved and much needed vacation this week, so you're stuck with me, Jason Kebler, the editor in chief of Motherboard. And uh, this week, I did not have time to do fancy uh, a fancy intro, so this is what you get. And we're just going to go straight into the interview with Motherboard senior staff writer Samantha Cole. Hi, Sam. Hi, Jason. Thank you for uh, telling me how to ride the bus yesterday.
1: Yeah, I'm glad it was a success. Yeah,
0: bus queen Samantha Cole. (laughs) Um, So we are talking today about Girls Do Porn and Pornhub and sort of this really bleak and terrible situation that you and Emmanuel Myberg have been reporting on for a few months now. Uh, Girls Do Porn is, and hop in here wherever I get anything wrong, but I think I got it. Girls Do Porn is a company based in Arizona that sort of, California? San Diego. San Diego, okay. A company based in San Diego that does sort of like these first-time porn videos, I believe is sort of like how they pitch them, where it's like, oh, this woman has never done porn before. Usually they're pretty young women, um, I'm not sure. Is it one where they like show their ID or anything like that?
1: I mean, that's definitely like part of it. Is this uh, niche of porn where it's like, oh, she's she's an amateur, she's a newbie, she's here paying for college or whatever, and you know they'll do like, oh, it's her, it's her birthday today. She just turned 18 or 19 or whatever. Like we bought her a cake, and it's that's kind of the part of the narrative.
0: Yeah. So it's like this is the like average girl next door who's like doing porn. Either because she wants to or because uh, she's desperate. And that's like part of the fantasy, I guess. And and this is like a very well known company that's been around for, I don't know, a decade? Yeah, close it's to a decade. Like eight years or something. Yeah. And um, we're talking about them today because they have done some very, very bad things. Uh, they were sued in 2016 by 22 women. And uh, that case is ongoing and has just sort of gotten started. And Sam's been reporting on it. And just last week, they were indicted by the feds uh, for sex trafficking and coercion and all these other really terrible things. So that's sort of the uh, broad stakes of what's going on here. But there's lots of interesting interesting but sad wrinkles to this story that involves cybersecurity and Uh, sort of how this stuff proliferates around the Internet and how we treat women on the Internet and all that sort of thing. So I think to get started, let's just talk a little bit about uh, the initial lawsuit, this civil case that you've been covering for a while. What are the allegations made in that case, Sam?
1: Yeah, so that that trial, that case finally went to trial um, in late August and it's been going on since then. Um, it's over 20 women, I think it's 22 women at this point, who are suing the company for fraud, coercion, and misrepresent- misrepresentation. They, they showed up basically thinking that it was going to be some kind of modeling gig. That's how it was advertised when they replied to Craigslist ads. Um, and then, you know, they got there and they're in a hotel room and suddenly there's a guy, there's an actor. They're told to hurry up and sign some contracts after they've flown in from, like, as far away as, like, Canada or, like, across the country. So they're kind of put on the spot and told that they need to hurry up and do this if they want to get paid. And so, you know, they do it. And under the promise that the videos won't be spread anywhere except for, like, DVD stores in New Zealand.
0: Right. That was a key thing that we heard over and over because Sam has talked to a lot of these women Uh, Every time we write about it, more women come forward uh, that, you know, they're filming this, but it's only going to go to private collectors in New Zealand or Australia or somewhere on the other side of the world. When in reality, uh, Girls Do Porn is one of the biggest porn companies on the internet. It had had until very recently a partnership with Pornhub, which is the biggest porn site on the internet. And these videos were viewed millions and millions, sometimes tens of millions of times each.
1: Right. Yeah. I mean, that that was um, for most of them, that was the main reason that they went ahead and did it uh, was because they were promised that, you know, this wouldn't get back to their friends and family because they weren't in it to be porn stars. They weren't trying to get into that industry. They were just trying to do modeling or take advantage of an opportunity that they thought was like like a free trip to California, basically. And then, you know, they shoot some lingerie shoots and then go home. Um, that's obviously not what happened. Uh, the videos were uploaded all over the internet within weeks of them shooting. Their friends and families found them. Most of them were found through like comment sections on porn websites like Pornhub. Um, they were doxxed. People would get in the comments and say, oh, I know her. She goes to my school. And then, you know, women were being texted by coworkers saying, I saw your video. Is that you? So yeah, this kind of this spread really quickly for most of them. And um, that was not what they expected going in at all.
0: Right. So as you mentioned, like when these videos were uploaded, they were uploaded with a fake name, but then someone would recognize them and would post their real name in the comments. And I know that there were specific websites dedicated to doxing these women. Um, Can you talk a little bit about that?
1: Yeah. um, So one of the websites that was Kind of key to all of this was called Porn Week WikiLeaks, and that was a website devoted to doxing porn performers. So in this case, especially with these women, they aren't industry professionals going into this, most of them. So they weren't expecting this level of, like, scrutiny by people on the Internet, and then all of your information is then posted on these databases and, like, forums, like Porn WikiLeaks, where people just spend their time trying to find their Facebook pages and social media and contacting, like, messaging them. And um, it's just, it's so far beyond. And then recently, I think it was last month, Bang Bros, or yeah, it was Bang Bros, right? Yeah, it was Bang Bang Bros, yeah, yeah. Uh, Yeah, (laughs) Bang Bros kind of swooped in and they they, uh, bought Porn WikiLeaks and then recorded a video where they were setting fire to some hard drives and they were like, this website is done. Like, we've, we've, set it on fire symbolically, literally, whatever. So, yeah, that was a, they, Bangros said that they weren't, they didn't do that because they wanted to get into this Girls Do Porn case at all. That's what they told me, but... It had the
0: side effect of sort of...
1: Yeah, I mean, it's, they said that they did it because they know that it was hurting people. And it was hurting more than just the Girls Do Porn women. So, yeah, the, the timing is very... You know, it's coincidental, if anything.
0: <laughs> do we think, uh, you raised this in Slack the other day, do we think that Bang Bros may have just lit federal evidence on fire?
1: <laughs> I'm not sure. I need to ask some, like, lawyers and maybe some experts on that. Um, I, I mean, I'm sure that all of that information still exists somewhere. Um, the FBI doesn't just charge people with, or, you know, the, they're not just federally charged with crimes out of nowhere on a whim, I'm sure this has been ongoing for a while. So they, the feds have that information, I'm sure. But right. yeah, so th- it just That's was... me
0: hopping forward a little bit. But yeah. yeah, last week, um, or was it, it was Monday, right? Yeah. Monday of this week, uh, the feds, uh, the Department of Justice indicted the founder, two camera people and... One like administrative assistant at yeah, Girls Do Porn? Correct? It was
1: um, the owner, who is Michael Pratt, who's a wanted fugitive. Uh, he fled the country during this case, which um, makes you look super guilty. <laughs> um, the company's main videographer, who's Matthew Wolf. Um, another cameraman actually testified about him telling him to lie to women. And then the main actor and director, Ruben. Garcia, who goes by Andre, who several women have told me that's who they knew. That's his name when they met him was Andre. It was a nickname. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Valerie Moser, who's an assistant and was possibly one of the women who was kind of grooming these women to say, it's okay. Like, you can come here and it'll be safe. And like, what they're saying is legit. And she was also obviously lying. Um, so yeah, those folks were charged with uh, sex trafficking, federal criminal charges.
0: Right, and they face up to life in prison yeah. uh, if convicted. So right now we sort of have these uh, parallel tracks. There's the civil suit in which 22 women are, are suing girls Who porn and then the federal suit, uh, which is obviously a very serious charge too. Um, from what we've heard, the civil suit is going to continue, correct? Yeah. yeah. So the civil suit is going to continue and uh, Sam and Emanuel have been sort of reporting on how... Uh, you know, this affected women's lives. I think Sam sort of gave the, you know, outlines of how this usually went down. But we've talked to, I don't know, a handful of women and their stories have all lined up. Like every single woman has basically the same story about how they were tricked into going there under the auspices of modeling. Uh, You know, some of them spoke about how they were sort of threatened to that they'd have to pay back the cost of a flight if they didn't perform and and that sort of thing I think some of the women may have been drunk right
1: yeah yeah they, they were um fed definitely alcohol. yeah they were trying to get them um, distracted they were giving them shots they were offering them weed like while they were signing these multi-page contracts that they many of them never saw again um so they don't even really they were rushed along and told they had to sign this. They really didn't even get a chance to read them. Um, yeah. have
0: yeah. we seen a contract yet?
1: No, because no one has one that I've talked to. Um, yeah, no one got a copy of one. Yeah, we're working on it. If you yeah. if you have a contract, <laughs> hit me up.
0: Yeah, yeah. So uh, I think a really interesting aspect of this is that the like the feds are prosecuting this. This is like a clear case of where you have a very evil company doing a terrible thing, but people are weaponizing this, like sort of the anti-sex worker, anti-porn industry folks are weaponizing this to suggest that it's, you know, a problem that's rife throughout all of the porn industry. And you wrote a really good article about that earlier this week. Can you talk a little bit about that and how uh, how this has been weaponized by some of the like more Puritan puritanical uh, aspects of American culture?
1: Yeah, so just for for one example, um, there is a group called the National Center for Exploitation. They were formerly called Morality and Media, but they're a religious backgrounded anti-porn group. They have supported and rallied behind legislation like FOSTA-SESTA, which did you know untold harm to sex workers and all kinds of communities online. So there's that group and they... They came forward after this um, indictment and basically said, you know, this is an example of standard practice for pornography. Like, this is, this is the reason why we're against it. Um, there's only, the only way to end this is to fight against the industry, basically. And that's just not anywhere near correct. A few of the, like, directors and uh, owners of different companies that actually do good Consensual, obviously, ethical porn online told me that this is just not okay. It's a criminal operation. It's not a porn company. So, yeah, that's that's kind of been the response. as people are like, "Oh, this is why porn is bad. It's exploitative and all this stuff." And really, it's uh, what they're what they're fighting against. There is not pornography. It's exploitation of workers and of women who are trying to survive in this economy and many of whom are doing this consensually and because they love the job.
0: Right. I think a really important point is that companies like Girls Do Porn are able to get away with things like this, or like they're able to exist for so long because so much of the sex work and porn industries have been driven underground by laws like SESTA and FOSTA, or SESTA-FOSTA, and um, just like, it's something that society doesn't want to, take seriously it's it's something that society doesn't want to talk about and so you have like these shadier elements where it's like a very shameful thing to act in porn or to be a sex worker and you have like i don't know you have people like um bernie sanders and elizabeth warren who are like excellent on workers rights across sort of across the board but have been very reluctant to say that they support sex workers rights for example and it's like it politician like sesta Fosta passed near unanimously because this is a part of society that politicians don't want to stand up for and don't want to um, make sure are subject to the same uh, protections that other workers are subject to.
1: Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, I mean, it's that's definitely a huge part of it is the stigma and the shame that women feel about um, having been in porn. A lot of women feel like they can't come forward and say that was me who were involved in this because um, they knew that it would ruin their lives. And for many of them, it did anyway. So yeah, that's a, that's a huge part of it. Several of them have told me that they felt like they were it was their fault and they were stupid for signing these contracts and stupid for believing these men who were truly predators. And the whole thing was a scheme to trick them into doing something they didn't want to do in the first place. So yeah, that's... That's something that I think is important in our coverage is that we have to keep talking about it. We have to keep talking to people who are doing it consensually. We have to keep talking to victims of, com- victims of companies like this that exploit women, because if we don't, then that stigma will continue.
0: Right. And a really important result of your and Emmanuel's reporting, as well as the uh, the Fed's sort of Finally, going after them criminally is that Pornhub took down all of the Girls Do Porn videos earlier this week. Uh, they deleted their channel for a long time. Uh, Girls Do Porn was a premium partner of Pornhub's, which means that they, I don't know, maybe had a better rate, like on ads or something. Like, are we are we sure what the premium partner means here?
1: I mean, it get it definitely gets it gives them uh, legitimacy. For it sure. gives them legitimacy. It puts them in front of more people's eyes, basically. Um, It's, you know, it puts their logo on branding. Um, It's a selling point that you can get access to that content. If you sign up to be a Pornhub um, premium member, then you get special premium access to certain companies' content. And one of those was Girls Do Porn. It's stuff like that. It's definitely, it's just kind of a, a status thing. And I think there is some ad mass happening with that. Um, But the biggest part of it is just kind of the branding aspect.
0: Yeah. yeah. So what is next here? Like, obviously, the civil suit is probably going to be going on for quite some time, and the criminal suit hasn't even really started yet. But um, I don't know. We have this guy who is a fugitive, a wanted fugitive. We have more and more women coming forward. We mentioned the 22 in the lawsuit, but uh, the lawyers there say that they've spoken to more than 100. We've spoken to a bunch of people who didn't even know about the lawsuit or any of this stuff. Like, they've just seen our articles and, and reached out. So it seems like there's definitely a couple other shoes that are going to drop here over the next weeks, months, years.
1: Yeah, I think um, the the civil case, because they were allowed to continue, they could wrap this up by mid-November, and then that'll finally get the women who are suing girls to do porn some version of justice. Um, if... You know if it rules in their favor with the feds i'm not really sure what happens next with that but they're collecting more testimonies from people at this point and there's they they have like a phone number you can call if you want to talk to them about what you experienced or if you were involved um yeah i mean just what's next for us is we're just talking to more people who are involved just gathering as much information as we can about what's going on here and following it super closely
0: yeah Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Uh, I'm going to ask you to stick around for a very brief edition of the Roundup. Are you aware of what the Roundup even no, is? No, is that a game? It is a game. <laughs> uh, it's, uh, you should be a cyber listener. It's very disappointed that you're not. Uh, it's where we talk about a couple of other cybersecurity stories that we've covered uh, this week in uh, brief detail. And I can do most of the talking because I edited a lot of them. But I'm going to need you to play the role of Ben and okay. tee me up. So first, you're going to ask me about this massive child porn bust that happened earlier this week.
1: Yeah, what, what happened with the massive child porn bust that happened this week?
0: <laughs> oh my God, perfect. Yeah, so... <laughs> Uh, This is a very bleak story as well uh, to come off of the Girls Do Porn stuff. But uh, there are are some very interesting cybersecurity uh, aspects to this story. Uh, So on Wednesday, the Department of Justice, along with their counterparts in, I believe, Germany, the United Kingdom, and a couple other places, announced they had taken down a website called Welcome to Video, which is one of, if not the largest child porn site on the dark web. So that's uh, good news that it's taken down. Uh, it had, I believe, eight terabytes of child porn on it, which is horrifying. And as part of this, they arrested over 300 people in like 36 countries. So this was a, a, an investigation that had been going on for a couple of years. Uh, they had taken them down. I think this is obviously good news. Uh, what's interesting about this is that the uh, administrator of this, who was a South Korean man, allegedly, was caught for maybe some of the worst OPSEC I've ever seen in the history of the world, which is uh, he, it was a pay site, so pedophiles had to pay Bitcoin to get access to these videos. And they were paying through an American Bitcoin exchange Uh, To an account that was tied to this man's real name, his real cell phone number, his real email address, and uh, his real address. So uh, it was very, like, it was trivially easy for the FBI and the IRS and a couple other law enforcement groups to track them down. What I think is really notable is that in previous dark web busts, uh, the FBI and CIA and other groups have used. Uh, What are known as NITs, which are, it's basically hacking techniques to de-anonymize Tor. So there is a big uh, child porn bust a few years ago where the FBI hacked a bunch of people in order to figure out that they were using Tor and were accessing these websites. And in this case, it just was a matter of like tracking the Bitcoin payments. Yeah, so that's story one. Uh, story two: The Nationals are going to the World <laughs> Series. Very exciting. Uh, Sam, have you been watching?
1: I've been watching the uh, Twitter outrage about the various happenings. I was going to ask you about the Cardinals. Is the
0: <laughs> is the Twitter outrage in me tweeting and or, it's you
1: or, and various other parties? It's a lot of people.
0: Yeah. So I'm not a Nationals fan. Uh, I'm an Orioles fan. Yeah. But, uh, my goes. sister, yeah, go-O's, both Sam and I from the great state of Maryland. <laughs> But uh, the um, the Nationals are my sister's favorite team, and she's in college and obsessed, so I'm rooting for them now. Uh, so hopefully can go to one of those games or something. We'll see. Uh, okay, Stand pause, by. pause, <laughs> stand by. I'm seeing what else we wrote this week. We can do one more story. Oh, we can talk about the flash memory of Teslas. That's oh, yeah. good. Okay, Sam, ask me about Teslas.
1: <laughs> uh what did we write this week about Teslas? Because Tesla's a mess lately.
0: Yeah. Do you have a Tesla?
1: Yeah, I do. Oh. It's outside the vice office if anyone wants to come. Amazing.
0: Yeah. It. yeah, it's really easy to park uh, in front of our office. Yeah. Uh, so Teslas have this very interesting bug, not a bug, uh, but issue caused by a coding decision made by Tesla software engineers, I guess. They have a uh, a board that the... Uh, car writes software to it writes logs of what's going on with the car to it like basically every time you turn on the car and it has this uh, piece of flash memory on it and the car is basically excessively writing to this piece of flash memory so over the course of a few years it's actually burning out the memory and when this because it's just being written to too many times And so when this happens over the course of several years, eventually that flash memory wears out. And when that happens, the car is completely bricked. And you can't... You can drive it, but you can't charge it. So you can drive it for like, I don't know, an hour, depending on how much battery you have left. And to get this fixed by Tesla costs between like $2,000 and $6,000. And you can't buy the replacement part on like as an aftermarket uh, situation. So... Basically, we have these like extremely expensive cars that are like four or five years old that are spontaneously bricking and just completely broken that cannot be fixed by anyone except for Tesla at a cost of between two and six thousand dollars, which is pretty crazy.
1: Yeah. That's so that's it's a right to repair issue. Then. It is a right to repair <laughs> issue. Yeah. Good
0: riff. Good riff <laughs> there. Uh, it is yeah, so it's a right to repair issue. Uh, you know, Tesla is sort of notoriously anti-repair. Uh, anti-third-party repair, that is. Uh, They don't sell replacement parts. They're actually not subject to this uh, memorandum of understanding that was signed in 2014 by all of the other auto manufacturers in which they agreed to sell aftermarket parts to third-party repair folks. So the only place that you can actually get replacement parts here are from, like, wrecked Teslas. So... You have like a couple independent repair people who are salvaging wrecked Teslas in order to fix cars that have this issue, but it's not something that's sustainable in any way, shape or form. And it's like a ticking time bomb inside of every Tesla, which would be a little more sad if uh, people who own Teslas didn't have a lot of money, presumably. <laughs>
1: <laughs> That'll, it'll at least stop them from doing the smart summon thing, which I think is the most obnoxious feature
0: yeah, yeah. In the world.
1: Aside from like, like accessibility needs, people are just digging around with the Smart Summon tool.
0: Yeah, I watched parking one of those videos so. the other day. It was like clearly a grocery store parking lot. And this yeah. guy was like, this is a game changer. This is incredible. And he hits the button and the car drives up to where he's standing, which is like <laughs> great. Uh, it's cool, I guess. But it took like two minutes.
1: Yeah. One guy like put his, he like tested it in front of his kids. He was like, I want to see if this car is going to hit my kids.
0: Oh, that's good. Yeah,
1: it didn't. One almost did, like, actually, like, I had to jump out of the way. I watch these videos with a sick satisfaction because I think they're so annoying. Are
0: they going viral on Twitter? Are they, like, because I've only seen one, but the way that people talk about it, it's like, it's a new genre of meme. It
1: kind of is. I mean, you have to read, like, some pretty ridiculous, like, Tesla blogs that I'm not going to name, but...
0: (laughs) EV News, baby. Yeah,
1: (laughs) exactly. Um, Cool. Yeah.
0: Uh, Okay, well, that's all we have for the moment. Thank you for listening to Cyber. Ben will be back next week, I hope. Uh, He should be, but he may just like stay on the beach forever. That's what I would do if I were him. Um, But thank you to uh, Sam for being here and thank you to uh, me for filling in.
1: Thank you to Jason (laughs) for his excellent round of,
0: what was that called? Of roundup, it's called it's the called roundup. roundup. Okay. Yeah. yeah, and uh, thank you to Andrew for uh, recording us and presumably also editing. Thanks, Andrew. We'll see you next week. Play. Play Despacito.
1: Siri, <laughs> <laughs> play Despacito.
0: Traffic jams, tailgating, pileups. Ugh.